buddies recently asked me about my New Year's resolution, and I told him I didn't need one, that I already did everything right. Now, <laughs> my mother is no longer here to confirm that, but surely my wife would uh, if she wasn't in the nursery this morning. <clears throat> but be that as it may, most of us do at least give thought to some kind of resolution at a change of the calendar. And Christians generally give thought to something related to their witness or their ministry or their relationship with the Lord. In fact, I doubt few would disagree if I suggested that we all desire a life that is more spirit-directed in 2014 than it's ever been. But have you given much thought to what your life would be like if it were lived, not only directed more completely by the Spirit, but in complete harmony with the Spirit of God. And I think we all realize when we became Christians, we were cleansed by the blood of Christ. And we were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came to live within us. We also realize that the Spirit does not completely control us, not as long as we remain in a fleshly body. In fact, as long as we live in a fleshly body, the flesh struggles against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For as Paul said in Galatians 5, these are in opposition to one another. Our spirit is at work but our flesh still wants its way. Even though the Spirit is within us and prompts us and will even empower us to live life on a higher plane, we find it's very hard to do that because there's a battle going on inside of us. And yes, I'm going to tell my favorite story again just in case there's someone here who hasn't heard it. The story is told of an Indian. Now, you can tell it's an old story today. He would be a Native American, all right? A Native American who had become a Christian. When the preacher who led him to Christ ran into him some years later and asked how he was doing, he said he felt like there were two big dogs inside him, a black dog and a white dog, and they were always fighting. When asked which dog was winning, he replied, the one I feed the most. I think that's an amazing illustration. And it's a true one. Because if we would walk in the Spirit, we must feed the Spirit more than we feed the flesh. But again I ask, what would our life be like if it were lived in complete harmony with the Spirit of God. If you're thinking it would be wonderful, as we commonly think of wonderful, you might be in for a surprise. The Apostle Paul was a man who lived in harmony with the Spirit of God. In fact, in our text for today, he says he was actually bound in spirit. Now, there's no way for us to know for sure if the word spirit should have a big S 
for the Spirit of God, or a small s for Paul's Spirit. But it really doesn't matter because Paul's Spirit was bound to the Spirit of God. Paul was committed to following the Spirit's direction in his life. And as an apostle, the Spirit had given him some very specific instructions. You recall it was the Spirit that had forbidden him to preach in Asia Minor on the second missionary journey. And it was the Spirit that directed him through a vision to go to Macedonia. We don't know how often Paul received such specific directions, but as an apostle, he was certainly in tune with the Spirit's direction. And he was in total submission to it. He was bound in his spirit to the Spirit of God. He was constrained by the Holy Spirit. He could do nothing else but follow the Spirit's lead because he had voluntarily submitted his will to God's. So Paul was in harmony with the Spirit. But his life was certainly not perfect. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't have perfect health and prosperity. He didn't lead a charmed life out of harm's way. He didn't find life in the Spirit to be like that promised by some televangelists. But then again, who would send a check to someone promising them an uncertain future? Bonds and afflictions and maybe even death. But that is what Paul got out of being in harmony with the Spirit. Even though his spirit was bound to the spirit of God, he still didn't know everything. Picking up our study in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Now, the spirit did reveal some things to Paul. He knew he was called into the ministry. He knew he was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He knew the gospel. He knew he had to go to Jerusalem. He knew everything that had been revealed to him, but not everything had been revealed to him. The same is true for us. Much has been revealed to us in Scripture, but not everything. There's always more. We would like to know. Like Paul, we don't have all knowledge. But what we do have, what's been revealed to us, is true and it's certain. And we do know the will of God in most things. And we know something of the future. We have guarantees about the second coming, about life after death, and our eternal life. But God doesn't intend for us to know everything about the future. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, doesn't make us into fortune tellers. Now, some do get very smug in their spiritual walk and feel they have all truth, all knowledge, complete understanding, and a detailed picture of all that will take place. But Paul didn't. 
he didn't know what would happen to him in Jerusalem. He knew he had to go. And as we'll see, he knew it all wasn't going to be good. But he didn't have all the details. And that was by design. You see, God wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. If everything was laid out and we knew what was going to happen, we wouldn't need to trust him for every step. We wouldn't need to have a relationship with him. He'd simply give us a map and say, go. I'll see you at the end of the journey. That's not what he wants. He wants us to walk with him through life. We see that clearly in the life of Abraham. God told him to go to a land he would show him. And Abraham went. But he didn't know where he was going. So they walked together. And Abraham was called the friend of God. That's what God wants us to be. His friend. That's what it means to be in harmony with the Spirit. As the song says, many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I, hold, I know who holds what? Tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. Being in harmony with the Spirit doesn't mean we know everything. Paul didn't. And it doesn't mean life is going to be easy. Because even though he was bound in spirit to the Spirit of God, he still wasn't promised health and prosperity. Let's begin again with verse 22. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. The Holy Spirit testified that bonds and afflictions awaited Paul. He was getting that message in every city in one way or another. And when he gets to Syria... The message will be even clearer. In Tyre, the disciples will keep telling him not to set foot in Jerusalem. And in Caesarea, Agabus will dramatically show Paul what's ahead. He'll bind his own hands and feet with Paul's belt. And everyone will beg him not to go. He didn't have all the specifics, but it certainly did not look good. For sure, he hadn't been promised health and prosperity. He wasn't surrendering to the Spirit to get some temporal reward. It was going to cost him to obey. And the Spirit was making that very clear. But that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus always made it clear that it would cost to serve him. The scribe who said he wanted to follow Jesus was warned, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's not exactly a picture of prosperity. 
But Jesus never promised us prosperity. In fact, he said discipleship would cost us everything. In Luke 14, 33, we read, No one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. We must give up ownership of everything to be a disciple. Now, it's also true that Jesus said that we would be repaid a hundredfold for our losses in kingdom work, for what we give up for his name's sake. But he didn't necessarily promise to repay us in this life. If you're counting on being prosperous in this life because you're a Christian, you've been listening to the wrong spokesman. A couple weeks ago, I had another friend at Fit Club ask me if I liked Joel Osteen, or Osteen, whatever his name is. When I told him I didn't, he asked me if I thought he was a Christian. I told him it wasn't my place to judge his relationship with Christ, but that his message definitely was not Christian. And if you think God wants you prosperous and healthy, you're mistaken. Paul wasn't promised freedom from pain. He wasn't promised perfect health. He wasn't promised all those things that we long for. He was promised affliction. And that's what he got. In 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 29, he writes, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's a daily pressure upon me of concerns for all the churches, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Service to Christ may very well cost you your health. It used to be very common to hear of missionaries returning to the States because of malaria or some other exotic diseases. It's not quite as common today as it was. But that, that was a risk they were willing to face to be in service to Christ. You see, it's not always a lack of faith that makes you sick. Sometimes it's obedience to the call of Christ. After all, it was obedience to the will of God that took Christ to the cross. Being in harmony with the Spirit doesn't guarantee health and prosperity. It doesn't even guarantee safety. It sure didn't for Paul. 
He was bound in spirit to the spirit of God, but he still wasn't guaranteed safety. Let's read on. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. In order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul didn't know if he'd live or die in service to Christ. But it didn't worry him. He certainly didn't consider his life as something to be preserved at any price. He didn't say, oh, I can't go. I can't serve. It'll cost too much. I might even lose my life. He believed Jesus. When he said, if we would lose our life for his sake in the Gospels, we'd find it. Paul's desire was to exalt Christ in his body, dead or alive. In Philippians 1.20, he said his earnest expectation and hope was that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Some things were more important to Paul than simply extending his life. What was important to him was that he finish his course and fulfill the ministry God had given to him. He didn't serve to get guarantees in life. He didn't figure being in harmony with the Spirit would give him a charmed life, a secure life. He didn't expect God to miraculously save him every time he was in danger, even though at times he did. On the island of Malta, on the way to Rome, we'll see Paul miraculously survive a poisonous snake bite. And if the text is authentic, Jesus did say in Mark 16, 18, that his disciples would be able to pick up serpents and not be hurt. Now, that's not an invitation to handle snakes in church. It's simply a statement that if in the course of ministry you happen to be bit by a snake like Paul was, God can protect you. It's not a promise that he will, but a reminder that he can. And he does protect when it serves his purposes. Now, that may sound arbitrary and capricious, but it's not. Because his purposes are always good. We may not understand why he does something to protect someone in one circumstance and not someone else in another but we can have confidence in his understanding of the consequences of interceding or not. So sometimes he sends angels to intervene, and sometimes he doesn't. Peter was rescued from prison by an angel, and James was killed by the sword after being arrested. Why he saved one and not the other, we aren't told. And it's not our place to know or to question why. God knows what he's doing. We have no guarantee of safety or of a long life. Our only guarantee 
is that God will use us if we give ourselves to him. It was enough for Paul that he exalt Christ in life or death. And it should be enough for us. Death didn't scare him. And it, it shouldn't scare us. James Calvert was a young pioneer missionary to cannibals on the Fiji Islands. On his way there, the ship captain tried time and again to dissuade him from going. He warned, you'll lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. Calvert calmly replied, we died before we came. If we've died to self and given ourselves to Christ, it won't matter whether we live or die. All that matters is that we, like Paul, exalt him in life and in death. And in doing so, testify to the grace of God and fulfill our ministry. And we can testify to the grace of God in poverty or riches, sickness or health, life or death, if we are in harmony with the Spirit. The question isn't what we're going to get out of service to Christ, but what we're willing to give. Are we willing to surrender our all in service to Christ? If we are, There's no need to worry about what we may have to go through now. For as J.B. Phillips paraphrased Romans 8, 18, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future God has planned for us. That assurance can be ours for the new year. And for all eternity, if we'll surrender our lives to the Lordship of Christ. We must remember, however, that being in harmony with the Spirit doesn't mean we'll understand everything that's happening to us. It just means that one day we will. Dwayne Carroll recently gave me a book written by a former classmate at Florida State and fellow football player. It's entitled, Encouraging Words in a Discouraging World, and consists of 365 daily devotional readings. Now, I seldom use such devotionals, but since Duane gave it to me, I figured I'd give it a try. After telling Marilyn why I was reading it, because it's not a part of my morning ritual, and stating that I really didn't care for daily devotionals, I read the following. This was the second day of January. Life is like a puzzle that has many pieces. The first thing you do with a puzzle is look at the picture on the box. It shows what the puzzle is to look like when all the pieces are finally together in their proper places. In life, however, 
You don't know in the beginning exactly how your life here on earth will turn out. You don't first see the final picture and then live it. Instead, a piece of your life is put in place each day as you live it. Each piece is unique. A day in your life is interlocked with the other days in your life. You can't take a piece of someone else's life and try to fit it into yours. It doesn't fit. It's not part of your life's puzzle. As you grow older, you begin to see how the pieces beautifully connect with the other pieces. And the picture of your life comes more into focus. Things which didn't seem to fit in your life are now a perfect fit. Your life begins to look less like a puzzle and more like a purpose. When the puzzle of life is finally finished, there will be no extra pieces left over. There will not be a day not used. One day, you'll see the picture on the box God used to put the puzzle of your life together. It's a picture of His Son, Jesus. You'll see how your life was put together in the image of God's Son. That's the shape the life of each believer is to take while living life here on earth, day by day and piece by piece. I couldn't believe it when I read that. It was perfect. I loved it. And I told Marilyn I loved it. I said, in fact, I'm going to use it in my sermon. And she just shook her head and said, you know, I drive her crazy or something like that. (laughs) Now, being in harmony with the Spirit doesn't mean we will understand everything that's going on behind the scenes. But it does ensure that we are becoming more and more like God's Son. I can think of nothing better to shoot for in 2014 than that. Amen?